But with the Silk Route, I got what's needed, and that is monism that I firmly believe in and process. I couldn't, I couldn't put a title on myself for the religion that didn't have a monistic worldview, a monist unified world that that's, can have endless multiplicity within it and divisions and everything. But it's a unified world; everything relates to everything else. That's just but how the universe yeah, operates. It simply doesn't, doesn't. No, it doesn't. No, no, it doesn't. So monism no. is recovery. The other one is process. But what I then discovered, Zoroastrian, that I didn't require when I started, because, I, I, you know, like you go to the East, you realize that nomadology that we had in paganism is obviously all the religious. Hinduism has that, right? Hinduism is nomadology. It is what Nietzsche calls the eternal return of the saint. So, yeah, every new year, the world is born anew. But mm-hmm. it's the same world mm-hmm. all over again, like if the world mimics itself year after year after year, and nothing new really ever happens. All novel, nothing is new under the sun is a perfect example of a nomadological fundamental statement. That is the fundamental religion of humanity. That's the religion we had for 195,000 years, undoubtedly the only religion we have. So I would say nomadology was there. I would say polytheism is nomadology in practice. I would say nomadology is to put people on the move. You, need to, you had to tell them a story in the evening that tomorrow morning we've got to get up and move again. And if you're not moving, you're dead. And behind us is the chaos goddess and she will kill you. Ahead of us are the Ur fathers. And if we just go where they've gone before us, which is the origin of the gods, right? Ur fathers. If you go where they've gone before us, we will survive. So... I required monism and I required process fundamentally from religion I believe in. Nomadology is obviously a process and nomadology is monist. So I could have gone all the way and become a Hindu. Now, what happened though was that I discovered that even in Hindu mysticism separate from Hinduism and certainly in Iranian religion with Zoroastrianism and Zoroastrian Reformation came the idea that we could create a world that's better than the world we live in. And of course, then I'm a Marshall McLuhan guy and I studied Hegel. So there has to be condition for us to be able to believe the world could be better than it currently is. That means mm-hmm. that could only happen after the art of writing has been introduced. And we all know that without the art of writing, we couldn't have permanent settlements that stayed permanent. And we still had violence for like thousands of years. And this is the Girardian universe. The Girardian universe opens up when we settle down. So we need to deal with no, that. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's, that's okay. I think that's but a mistake that's you continually wrong. make, actually. No, no, oh, okay. no, 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 no. Okay, no, no, okay, no. okay. Yeah. We, can, we cannot. But, uh, uh, you know, the, the Girardian universe happened when, when humanity happened. When the okay. first stone was put on, uh, okay, okay. on the okay. official altar. Okay, I know, yeah. but scapegoating, Gerard would agree, scapegoating escalated when we had the permanent settlement. Sergei Tuchin, for example, is shown with the anthropology. The first 1,000 years of permanent settlements were the most violent ever, right? That's very likely. So somebody had to tame that force to begin with. So Rasta doing it was with Asha and realizing there's one little loophole in nomadology you could use. This is very Deleuzean. So if Deleuze would sit with us, that he probably agreed that the difference of repetition that he talks about in the 1960s, this little loophole that Nietzsche is looking for, where can the eternal return of the same be broken so that the possibility of novelty exists that you can build from, which is essentially you become an engineer rather than a hunter or a warrior if you have a permanent settlement. Now, how did that shift happen? Well, in nomadology, I would say, why the daughter mimics the mother completely. This is what Lacan calls the woman as the, 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 the one all with exception, right? Where, no, the one all, the one all without exception. Whereas the, the, the phallus is the, 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 the not, no. The woman is the non-all that then declares it's all. Whereas the, the all that has an exception is the phallus, right? So that means, coming out of a Lacan understanding, that means if you read the lust, there is the possibility for the son to be different from the father. And that probably was the case in the nomadic tribe. The son was different from the father. Seed could come up with a novel solution to a current problem. That solution would then be forgotten. That's why you had to repeat the same mistakes over and over again. But by storing that information, that means the father could die. No, my son will know more when he, he's a man now than I did when I was his age. That little shift means that, as Deleuze says, with every return of the same, there's a small deviation, and that deviation has the possibility of being a novelty on which we can build if we can only store it. You mm. see how this is even the beginning of artificial intelligence today. It starts with that revolution. So Raster saw that, 
The less completed that revolution then in 1967, between it, you'd get Nietzsche and all these other guys and Proust philosophers who thought, of, where did the possibility for novelty exist? And how could you mm -hmm. build that novelty? Because all of civilization, all of technological evolution, the last 5,000 years is built on that one thing. A and novelty. I think that's why it's a phallic, yeah, it's a phallic drive. That's what Sorasta was adamant about. He said, the women hold up the world, whereas the men have this little tiny possibility of innovation. And I'm interested in it because I'm studying where did the hunter warrior shift into becoming the engineer who then remade the world? That to me is what civilization is all about. That, that change of phallic direction. And for me, that, that means I got so fascinated with that. And then, like you, Thomas, I went back and studied Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and Islamic religions with fresh eyes because it was, okay, they're all, they're all sons and daughters of, of Zoroastrianism in the sense that the eventology went west, went west. And the only way eventology then occurred in the East was through Confucianism and state bureaucracies and the organizational society. And it never developed into an idea of a better, improved world. It was just maintenance. Confucianism would never be on maintenance. Whereas the idea that the world can be better than it is today. Actually, I think it's the opposite mostly in most of the Eastern religion is the world is, we're in the Kali Yuga cycle. It's like this big yeah. cycle where we're, we're heading towards more and more fragmentation and everything's falling apart, you know, for the next, you know, 10,000 years and then there'll be a new cycle. Um, but that is nomadology. Jainism is the ultimate form of nomadology. And it's incredibly popular with women. I wonder why. <laughs> and, and, you know, women that I highly respect. I, I love nomadology. It is half the world. This is, in our book, Process and Event, this is process. That's what process yeah. is. But so event... I, I, this is kind of maybe simple, but what I'm hearing is like there's a kind of religion that is, is, is very pessimistic and is all, you know, it's all about, you know... Um, things falling apart and then there's another kind of re re religion that is about building or is a constructive or it's about it's about the this building the city on the hill uh, rather than just um, i had that question in india last fall we toured india when peter taos and i traveled through india and you know the indian students are smart and they're just like we're gonna be like the chinese and become the manufacturers of the world and moved into the middle class in india we're all going to be the computer programmers of the world but that's just factory work and they'll know that. So how could Indians become innovative and, and creative? And I said, well, then you have to go into a phallic mode. And you've got one tradition in Indian history, mm -hmm. Shiva, exactly, Shaivism. But Shaivism is so forgotten and, and, and put aside that, you know, it, 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 it has to be resurrected. I said, without a Shaivist renaissance in India, you will not have the capacity for innovation and novelty. And you'll be cursed by it because you will be at the end loop of the world economy. You'll be the guy, you'll be the place where we're going, don't even count the corona corpses today. That's the tragedy of India today, still today. Only 12% of people who die in India even get a death certificate. 88% of bodies are just left, right? So you don't even know whether corona is running amok in India or not. That, that's still the tragedy of India. And the tragedy of India is that it gets stuck in a nomadology without an eventology. And in a world of 7 billion people, you must have an eventology. You must have a vision that we can maintain this population, even grow to 10 billion and still not ruin the planet and still fix the idea that we have to love strangers rather than kill them. And all these massive existential problems you have ahead of us, including locking up the atomic bombs and locking up the biological weapons. We've just been reminded of the threats to ourselves that we are, right? Now, it, that's not even possible to me without an eventology. There has to be a new message. And that's what, what about the Far East? What about, what about the more industrious countries like Korea and, and, and um, Japan? And Are they industrious well, because they've inherited Western capital? No, no but they've, they've uh, inherited... Uh, uh, uh. Okay, the shared heritage of Zoroastrianism and Taoism that came through the Silk Route, which is called Zen in Japan, it's called oh, okay. Zion in Korea, is mm. definitely eventological. There's strong eventology in Zen and Zion. But it goes through that you, you mimic and you learn from your master and then you do the same thing and you can improve it and make it even better. Well, you don't have this kind of, uh, let's say, narrative that, uh, structure that, that like a Hebrew, the Hebrew religion has, where you know, you're on your way somewhere and... No, not in your own journey. No, no. It's, it, these are tribal collective societies. They, they've mm -hmm. never had individualism. Not mm -hmm. at all. It's, it's unheard of. It's, it's unthinkable. 
individualism with Descartes as a sort of a vulgar form of ultimate Christianity. And then, of course, I would say the ultimate form... Well, I think there's something unique about Judaism it's like, uh, that, that is very different than, than let's say, the, if, if it's an eventology, it's a very different kind of eventology than Eastern. Judaism kept nomadology and eventology in parallel. That's why I call Judaism and Zoroastrianism the grown-up faiths coming out of the Middle East. And I consider Islam and Christianity to be pop religions. Hmm. The reason is that they kept nomadology and eventology on two different levels. It's just, a, it's just a question of this is just two different levels. The eventology is kept basically for men. It's the priestly mystical religion, Zurvanism, Zoroastrianism. And then, of course, it's like a folk religion for the military guys, and, and that's Mithraism. But even the Roman Empire inherited from the Persians. God, it's such a, such a clever idea to take the military out of the polytheistic folk religion that women basically practiced and then put them in another religious realm, which was Mithraism. And of course, the cult of Mithras and St. George and the Dragon, all these things are military myths. The military mythology had its own religion. So with the Persians, Persian it was natural. We have Mithraism, with Zorbanism, Zoroastrian is the overall ship. But if people then want to practice a folk religion, which was essentially the same as Hinduism and the same as European paganism, you know, with the different gods and goddesses, that's just, if they don't have that, if they don't have the lesser gods, the people out there, you know, they'll worship Elvis Presley and Marilyn Monroe, whatever. I mean, they, they celebrate celebrities. You know, they, 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 that's what human common people do. Mm-hmm. And we should allow them to, just like we teach them sutras, they can become good parents. And, and, you know, they will be slaves. But since they don't aspire to be masters in each instance, that's okay. That's like 90% of the population. That's fine. You know, they probably consider us to be mad heads anyway, and that's perfectly fine. They probably come to visit us every seven years when they need us, and the other six years we're probably more likely to become scapegoats if we walk into the village more than anything. But we can't stay there. We had to pursue another journey. And as a nom- in, in the nomadology, you can definitely be shamanic. You can be androgynous, go between, between men and women, after an inner circuit, and you can also be shamanic cast, which means you go between between the tribes. You can go to New Guinea, even John Diamond's new book writes about this, that he discovered that in New Guinea had some people that were allowed to walk freely between the tribes, even in the middle of a war. And they weren't, they weren't wearing a red cross or anything. They were just shamans, right? So shamanic cast proven, exists in any culture. That's nomadology. That's where we come from. That's 195,000 years at least out of the last 200,000 okay, years. Okay, yeah, well, Mike, uh, I have a question. So, so yeah. the problem is that so this kind of runs the risk to bring back the victim uh, mechanism, right? So you have a, yeah. a, a tribe. So usually tribes, they are held together and they are, you know, the, the violence within the tribe is pacified by turning the violence against, uh, against the outsider. Uh, which is what Carl Schmidt basically says, right? The, pol- the, pol- the political requires an enemy. So how are you going to create tribes that, 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 that do not make use of this very dangerous mechanism? Yeah, we because had that's that. what's, what's currently going on, right? People are yeah. forming all these tribes and they, they, they actually create a cohesion within the tribe by turning to an, ex- to an uh, external e- uh, enemy. Yeah. My response to that as a philosopher is to say that you can either be a winner or a loser in a very fundamental sense. You can either become an underclass person or an upper class person in the digital age. So if you stay with your tribe, your echo chamber, that's a great word for it these days. Echo chamber means that you're stuck with your own tribe that only tells you what you want to hear. If you stay there, your mind will never grow. You'll be stupid idiot, you'll be left there, and you'll be left behind. It's like staying in the village was during urbanization. Yeah, and maybe, but you could move to the city. Would, maybe you would start to look for a scapegoat and want to sacrifice. You probably will too. In the tribe and, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, but that's know. what happens in villages. But if you want to move into the equivalent of the urban realm today, which is like you want to be successful in the digital realm, the first thing you must do is that you must keep your algorithm clean and pure. So you need to keep the corruption of politics and you need to keep the manipulation of the market out of there, right? I would say the corruption of money and the manipulation of politics. That's the better description. Uh-huh. So that's bad matriarchy and bad patriarchy. You need to keep them out. So it's your and your community's algorithm. That algorithm then, if you're going to be successful, needs challenge. It needs tantra. 
it needs um it it's needs a positive out of its antagonism that you're talking about yeah like tantra to kind me, of open antagonism yeah, exactly so this... tantra is tied to antagonism it's mm -hmm. tied to the shocking the ambivalent the things you can't make up your mind about and that's only then are you truly digital grown-up and and i i can assure you this will be the success recipe in the digital age. So that's what I try to do. I basically try to tell people that, yeah, you can comfortably probably stay in your echo chamber, find your own little local scapegoat and do all those shitty things the pagans have done in the past. But you know, that will happen, very likely to happen. It will happen in small communities, digital communities, physical communities. Yes, I don't think it's gonna be over in a, in a long time soon. But if you wanna be successful, staying within the echo chamber is not gonna make you smart. <laughs> It's a bit like convincing somebody in the 1850s that you can go to school for a few years and then probably go back to work on a farm. Or you can go to school and aspire to one day go to university and get a higher education and move to a city and be highly successful. And I don't think there's a better way of telling people the story about how life operates. That's what the elders tell adults and this is what adults should tell the kids. Because it's true. Has he answered your question, uh, Thomas? I, I have a feeling like there's there's more to your question than that, though. Well, there's like, I mean, there's like I mean, more it, going on. Yeah. Well, the the thing is that you know, if a small mind, let's say, it's a minority kind of gets it right, I mean, that's great, but mm. the rest will be very destructive. Yeah. And they will I destroy agree. it for the others as well. And right? I don't so, have mm -hmm. I don't have any hope for that at all to solve that problem. That's why we dressed it in digital libido and we said this is gonna be terrible the next fifty years yeah. so expect hard. That's because all this tribalism, you know, it sounds like you're celebrating it, but you know, it's also gonna be uh, it's um, problematic. It's, yes. it's also yeah, absolutely it's going to be pretty mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's why I think we need to keep nation states and structures that actually can keep certain things in place. I expect a certain level of police state will be necessary. I'm not naive about that either. I know censocracy will be called for and I expect censocracy to happen, meaning that we will have censors absolutely everywhere that collect data about absolutely everything we do. Okay, because people would demand it because they will demand safety and they'll demand, you know, being safe from pandemics and demand for... Yeah, it just uh, required a little flu, right? Everybody's, uh, everybody's oh. just going to embrace all the... Oh, you, you'll you yeah. be shocked at how many new dictators we'll have on this planet and how many democracies will be gone when this is Actually, over. I was looking at a little clip from Jordan Peterson and, and he was talking about how when the people get more and more authoritarian, the more there, there are... Um, uh, back in bacteria or uh, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like, like the pa pandemics, the more pandemics there are, the more, um, uh, flus and what, what do you call that? Um, what's the yeah. word for, um, temporarily you have more dictators. Then, 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 then really people get very extremely authoritarian and, uh, yes, they do. But since pandemics killed people, Actually, the slaves of society also can benefit from it. That's what happened after the plague in the 14th century in Europe. We wouldn't have had the Renaissance and wouldn't have had the Reformation and none of these things. And probably the printing press wouldn't have taken off in Europe if it had been for the plague before that. So the, the complexity grows over the time, but temporarily yet it causes authoritarianism. I mean, Wall Street, 1929, out of Hitler, 1933. Yeah. Of course they're connected. So. Yeah, authoritarianism grows when these things happen. Police will be there. That's why we're now philosophically working on a response to the Chinese Communist Party's fantasy of a dictatorship and a one-party sensocracy. That's important, yeah. Mm. That's how we work with Koreans and the Taiwanese. Sadakist has been in Taiwan for many years. Thousand are going to Korea this fall. As soon as we can start flying it out of lockdown, we'll be there. We're incredibly fascinated with how the East Asian democracies have somehow managed to stay democracies while also actually practicing sensocracy before Europe has even considered it. So we can respond and say, okay, so what are the benefits of a pluralistic sensocracy? And how can we achieve it? How can we build artificial intelligence to encourage pluralism within the sensocracy? Mm -hmm. Okay, number one, you cannot be innovative and you cannot go for novelty because if you live in a dictatorship, what will you do? Mimic. And you'll be doing nothing but mimic. Again, Girard's nightmare of a completely mimicking society will happen in any dictatorship, starting in Ignatius, Egypt going on to Hitler in Germany. You know, that's why, you know, I, I tell all the kids these days, not only should you watch Chernobyl to understand how bad a dictatorship is, because it's the information flows that are so corrupted and destructible. And that's why China kept the virus to itself for four months and then caused the havoc in the world that it caused. 
That's what the Chinese Communist Party should be really held accountable to, that they're a communist party and a dictatorship, and that's why they caused this havoc. The same thing goes for any of these systems, and that's why I think the Tin Drum, that beautiful old film, the German film from the 60s, you know, with, with the dwarf and the, the old kid, and, and, and you know, and the, 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 when you see, like, underneath the Nazi mousemen, you see actually that beneath all this beautiful, it was just a shadow and a mess. This is like a thin surface of aesthetic beauty, and when you look back at the aesthetic self, when you see how banal and childish it all is. I mean, Hitler was the ultimate Platonist Gnostic, right? Him and Khomeini, Platonist Gnostics, both of them. them. And that's why the response to that Gnosticism and the Platonism is to say, wait a second, we know from history that open and free societies with tons of trade tend to be more peaceful and profitable in the long run, and freedom has its own value here. Mm -hmm. So we, we need to philosophically respond to the Chinese. What happened in Europe when the corona hit speaks volumes. Everybody copied China. They mimicked like Gerard says they would. They mimicked because they didn't have a model. And when you don't model, what do you do? You mimic. So they all mimicked the Chinese Communist Party. And all the politicians of Europe behaved with their lockdowns as if they were Chinese Communist Party dictators. Seriously. Hmm. Yeah. That's how vulnerable we are, because we haven't philosophically prepared for the digital age, and we're working with it now, aren't we? We're working fast to respond to that. We need to work with the Koreans and the Japanese and the Taiwanese and anybody out there who understands sensocracy undeniably will happen. It will have enormous benefits. Too. Mm-hmm. It will make it easier to handle pandemics. But at the end of the day, to me, the biggest question of our time is what are we as human beings going to tell the machine when the machine asks us, what does it mean to be human? Hmm. Got to have an answer. I'm wondering about a link between this cosmopolitan pl- pluralism that you're talking about yeah. and Tantra again. Yeah. Because I was talking about how, in Tantra how there's this sort of pluralistic kind of like, you know, um, uh, expression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. And, and uh, for somehow, even though tantra has to be uh, has to be done in secret, and it's, it, it it can't be a a very public, you know, affair. At the same time, uh, it seems to be a very important, um, maybe in, in a less absolutely explicit, Nobody, explicit yeah. kind of uh, outer way, right? In an inner way. Nobody hates tantra more than the dictator. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I would say tantra. Actually, that's why all the tantric iconography was wiped out in the 12th century by, 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 by Islam, and you know, all tantra was all the way all all over the east. It wasn't just in in Tibet, and yeah, it was all over the place. At one point, oh yeah, yeah, all yeah, that yeah. iconography was destroyed, and and all the demon creatures, and and you just had these sort of, you know, whitewashed kind of Buddhas, and you know, anyway. Yeah, and it, I noticed it, that in the, pa- the Pablo Ghibli Museum. Pablo Vasquez, some of the Kurds have done research on it. There were centers called Kastags, and Kastag is actually the origin of what later becomes the, the clusters. Clo- what do you say in Latin? Clostrums that became the clusters and then later the monasteries of Europe and Christianity. The idea came from the Middle East, it came from the Silk Route, and the Sauraces obviously were inspired by the Indians and the Chinese, and they built Kastags. The Kastags were locations where you went for tantric practice. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yes. So we want to create a Kastag movement, obviously, now. It's part of the Sorastian Renaissance we're working on, and, and, and not just fire temples and things, but the Kastags. I think the Kastag is a wonderful way of both looking at the monasteries, the proud monasteries of Taoism and Buddhism, and, you know, the great monasteries of Christianity, too, and then respond to them and say that well, Zoroastrian had his own tradition, but he was wiped out by the Muslims. You're absolutely right. They didn't want any CN of it. Yeah. Because they, they didn't want the tantra. They, 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 it's, Islam is because it's they just, wanted purity. They wanted you know. They it's pop Gnosticism. order, and they wanted purity, yeah. and they wanted. I, I, I would say it's Islam is the ultimate form of a decentralized, loose network of very high-minded pillar saints. So, for good or bad, Islam doesn't have a center. And in Shia Islam, it, it is even Easter religion that you must follow your local mullah's interpretation of the scripture. Uh, and since there are local mullahs everywhere, and you just move from one village to the next, you get a different religion. 
Now, the great thing about that is that actually it's kind of surprising that Shia Islam wasn't wiped out because it's obviously just another center. It, it, it really is, reminds me of the echo chambers today. Like you stay in your own village, you hear the same message every time. It, this old man called the mullah, you must follow him. You must not be any smarter than he is. You must never ch be ch challenging him or be challenged by him. Like, okay, so that's a local sort of Shia Muslim community. Okay, um, and Sunni just says that, well, the text itself replaces the teacher. So you must follow it literally. And, and of course, any religion that has a literal interpretation of a text has probably missed the whole point with religion in the first place. Mm -hmm. 11 year olds, watch out for them. 11 year olds who don't have a sex life yet, you give them a throne or you give them a pillar to sit on and you get the pillar saints and the boy pharaohs of the world and they've been the problem ever since. So you give power to somebody who's not mature enough to contain and understand power yet, you get problems. That means ultimately to me, the tyrant is not so much a compromise between the priest and the chieftain, but rather the failure of both the chief and the priest to step up. And that means a little boy who aspires to be a priest thinks I can have it all. Or a little boy who aspires to be a chieftain thinks I can have it all. And that's, that's the tyrants of history, the dictators of history, and they don't stay long, but they cause enormous havoc while we have. And these days, these are the guys that are going to blow off the bomb and blow us all up the day it happens. So we got to get them out of the way. And we got to find a mythology where we kill them. And I don't think collectivism is the way forward because it ended up in North Korean Stalinism. That is collectivism in its purest form ever. And individualism ended up with a religion called Scientology in California and Hollywood, of course. The ultimate individualism is a guy who's so damn narcissistic, he goes to a cult full of narcissists and pays them $3,000 a second to have his astrology done for him. Okay. okay, how could anything be more stupid than that? But that is Cartesian individualism par excellence. It is Scientology. So you got Scientology on one hand and you got North Korean stars on the other. Okay, if these are the two extremes of neurosis and psychosis, maybe we can just please try to find something right in between and work from there, which to me is tribalism. But within tribalism today, we have intertribalism, intertribalism. If you want to stay intertribal in your own echo chamber, you're a loser. If you go intertribal and start exploring the challenges of actually trading with and communicating with other tribes in your own, you'll be a winner. Guaranteed. Mm -hmm. So that's networking, a network society again, sort of. But, uh, you know, is it? From yeah, this conversation, uh, I, I would say Tantra the, the and the Bard the Absolute. The Tantra and the Bard Absolute are absolutely tied together. Hmm. We, what did you say, uh, Thomas? Yeah. Well, I said like so. We did, so some time ago, we discussed uh, the, you know the, the, this guru model, right? Which is actually you know I mean it's often vilified, but I mean there's something to say for it. But oft, often tantra mm -hmm. is kind of transferred by looking at how somebody is in the world, right? But um, but there is a so we, we talked about we mentioned Osho, right? Obviously an example mm -hmm. of a <laughs> guru gone rogue. So you don't want to go there. But now we basically so you can kind of it's the, the network is the guru, right? You learn from your network. You learn from your um, from the what is it the, the, the I guess uh, uh, Alexander would call it the, the, the tribe right and mm -hmm. better make sure that the tribe is not homogeneous that includes uh, different religions so you can uh, for example as we did uh, learn from uh, from Buddhism so that we can actually have a a, a decent uh, connection with Christianity and that's why broadening your horizon then you can you can start looking at your own culture again. Yeah. Well, that just reminds you of, you know, you, if, you, if you practice a, a tradition, you practice Tantric Buddhism, for example, um, uh, it's, it's best not to just study the text of Tantric Buddhism. It's, it's best to, to, you know, to study as many th things as possible, and that, you know, in order to become like a cosmopolitan person rather than, you know, a narrow, um, you know, um, ne becoming narrow in your, in, as you say, you know, stuck in your, in your, um, I don't know. I've just, yeah, I, I've, I've talked to a lot of Buddhists who, who sort of, they just become kind of parroting different Buddhists, you know. Well, that's why, that's why Trungpa is such a great guy, right? Yeah. yeah. Trungpa warned against, you know, Buddhism is not about like wearing funny clothes and, 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 you know, adopting the culture of, of, uh, of the, of, of, of the oh, that's something of, terrible. Of origin, right? People do that. It's, yeah. It's... Yeah, people love that, right? And they start wearing these weird clothes and, 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 you know, and, 
I mean, it's great that you, I mean, I've, I've spent years reading Longchenpa, right? I still, I absolutely love it. But, you know, you can read, you can read Whitehead. You can, you can meditate on Whitehead, you know, if you're interested in, in these, in, in, in some of these metaphysics or some of these, these philosophies. I mean, we have fantastic philosophers that, 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 um, that talk about exactly the same topics and, and they don't come with all this, this uh, cultural luggage that, that you have to kind of, go through right which is very difficult for us to uh to um to absorb and yeah. i think that is uh i think that is a very good practice i agree i agree and i would say the the closest we have but unfortunately it's a lot more boring than tantra the closest we have in the west that still attempts the same thing is psychoanalysis and, and yeah, Lacan what, is crazy yeah. wisdom teacher. Yeah. Right? That's that's very oh yeah. Clear. Lacan mm. is crazy wisdom. Yeah, he absolutely total is. crazy wisdom. Yeah. And so is Jung. I wouldn't say that about Freud. Freud. Freud tried to stay coherent in things he did, but certainly when you get mm. into Jung, right. yeah, much Jung, more yeah. art than it is science. Certainly. Just, yeah, but Jung was. I mean, Lacan was mischievous. True. Characteristic. Oh, so was Jung actually. Uh, yeah, if you read yeah. about him, if you read from his his. Uh, disciples he was pretty mischievous as well but yeah he was okay oh yeah okay but psychoanalysis has the tantric about it and that's exactly why psychoanalysis cannot mm. be practiced within the state order you you cannot be you cannot be on a state bureaucracy salary and be a psychoanalyst you can be a psychotherapist a psychologist but then you just serve the system because the psychoanalyst first and foremost it's outside of the you system. how to question the system, which is exactly what Tantra does. So mm. Tantra teaches you that ultimately you must be your own judge over your own reality, meaning that you, 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 you must see through the system. You must, must see, see through, through yeah, to understand system. its corruption, to understand its manipulation, mm. to understand also within you, actually, that you mm. are 99% nature and just a tiny, tiny little sliver of some kind of culture on top of it. It may be through prohibition we could train into you. But, you know, other than that, it's, it's, um, you're wild and the world is wild. And, and psychoanalysis teaches you that. But on a couch, it's kind of boring. With Tantra, at least you get to fuck and take drugs and tons of shit. So I prefer to be Tantric over to be psychoanalytical, but they share exactly this idea of the barred absolute. You take, you retract from the world, you move outside of the world, and then you see through the world and you become actually critical of the society you live in. But whether you want to be involved in that society or not, or whether you prioritize other things, probably has to do with the times you live in. And it probably has to do with your archetype, personality type. You don't necessarily right, yeah. have to go back into the square and get engaged and be an activist. But you certainly see that, yeah, a few things could certainly be done to fix things. If I get a chance to do it, I probably would. But it doesn't necessarily, one of the things coming out of crazy wisdom, it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to do it. I can make the choice to stay retracted or to do something else. There's no moral obligation on me to go in there and improve the world. Yeah. You're perfectly okay to be no matter you're not logical. a soldier here. Yeah. I would say that you can stay within process and ignore event if you choose to do so. I cannot argue against you if you decide to go nomadological because the nomadology presents a perfectly viable narrative that includes all of humanity. But if you're interested in using what happens to be something beneficial that your son could you know, pick up from you and improve on, and somehow that get, you get a kick out of that, then I'm all welcoming it because that's what eventology teaches you can do. You can improve on the work on the world. And these days, probably even you have to because you need to build around and avoid certain existential threats. That's why I preach ecotopianism mm. and cosmopolitanism. But ecotopianism, which is the, the completion of the agricultural revolution, and, and cosmopolitanism is the completion of the urban industrial revolution, and then synthism is actually the turn of religion away from the religion of magic toward the religion of technology. That's what synthism is. Mm. So it prepares us for a machine as a messiah that we could properly collaborate with. What well, the machine should do, what the machine is good at, which is probably logos, and we should focus on what human beings are good at, which is pathos, to then find a shared mythos. That's how I see synthesis, and that's where it comes in. And then, of course, you can go back to any of the religions and discover that the religion of technology was there all along. It was it's part of all, all parts of religion that teach you how to be mm. grown up, take responsibility for yourself and others, and then if you can, improve on the world. All of that is religion of technology, and it's not religion or magic. 
Legend of Magic was well, part of the Paul Collegium, right? Yeah, John calls it psychotechnology, and then there's technology yeah, too. Yeah, there's I agree. I agree. Right? I agree. Psychotechnology. And yeah. So we don't need telepathetic, you know, miracles any longer. We don't need to walk on water or anything like that. Oh, why? Because we have we have boats, and then we have you know, water skiing, and we have smartphones. We have technologies now that we've invented simply because we had magic, and magic made you know young guys think that I could actually make that happen for real. And that's the engineering mindset. That's where eventology starts. This is what eventological religions that deal with the phallic should deal with. This is phallic eventology to me. Hmm. And I'm interested in anybody out there's interested in exploring phallic eventology. This is why I, com- I converted Zoroastrianism because it's all about phallic eventology. It's the center of that religion. But it doesn't mean the trace of phallic eventology does exist in other cultures. Of course it does, especially today. All of civilization is about that. We haven't improved at all. Technology is the entire improvement. Hmm. It's, it's everything that makes the world different today from what it was five years ago is a direct result of technology. I'm trying to make the link between technology and, and Tantra. I'm trying to understand. Yeah, well, you, well technology hmm. can be taught a sutra, but maybe not technological innovation. I don't know. But technological mimicry can. And that's a large part of practice technology. You know, 99.5% of practice technology is just mimicking. But the one part that is the in, in, in innovation of the new technology probably would require a tantric mindset or a more laboratory mode, right? And in the laboratory mode has to be what? Retraction, exclusion, moving out of society, separating yourself to go into a, a truly innovative mode. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, it's a tantric mindset that gets you out of the the copying, right? I mean, it's what Peter Thiel calls, you know, going from zero to one instead of going from one to N. Yeah. Hmm. I agree strongly. You can train and you can train this mindset using tantric practices. So that's basically the the Mm. big goal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe I think maybe, we said that last time, didn't we? We say that that crazy wisdom is 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 going beyond beyond um, mimesis or. Uh, yeah. That's what Alexander uh, Alexander said. The, the that's behavior that that cannot be mimicked. Behavior so that mimesis, cannot be mimicked. That's right. We, we haven't yeah. really talked about that very much, but it it can be inherently very very problematic, right? This this uh, um, this uh, mimesis. And basically, it's behavior that cannot be copied. I think that's a very nice way of looking at, at crazy. Yeah. I mean, look and, at Monty and, Python, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, crazy wisdom isn't always like you know, sex and drugs and whatever. I mean, like look at Monty Python. I mean, there's there's something that's that's kind of a form of crazy wisdom, right? It, it it makes you think and and it says something new in in a in a very surprising way, um, and it has all the horror. yeah. I think that's what it is in some way. In some level, it's it's just it's just pure creation. Uh, it's it's aligning yourself with this pure creative act. Oh yeah, I mean, I don't think it's re- real art. I mean, real art. That's why the metaphor is sexuality. And art, art is not art is not transformative unless it has a tantric quality. Otherwise, it's just decoration. That's what happens when you mimic something. Mm. It's not art. Mm-hmm. Art requires novelty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why the conservative people really don't like art very much because they want they want to keep of course they, don't. Know, they want to keep you know creating icons of the same thing and dictators they want to keep the society ha- together. And, hate it. That's why yeah. di- dictators hate it. And all they want is mimicking, boring, bland, infantile aesthetics. That's why. That's why always <laughs> dictatorships always look boringly ugly. They look yeah. like. Yeah, it's like nobody. The first must, people must, they kill nobody is the must, artist, and it? everything is the same. So every year is repetitive. So everything looks like Stalin's Moscow in 1953 for the next 40 years without any change at all. That's so it's a conservative, aesthetic conservative. Aesthetic conservatism is exactly what dictators love, precisely because they they hate tantra, they hate art. So that's why they they blow up the aesthetics that. It's just infantized. Hitler wanted to copy his fantasy of what Greece looked like 2,000 years ago. He didn't want anything else. And then he had his fantasies about the perfect Jehovah's Witness style uh, German farm. 
which never existed, of course. And he was the failed artist too, wasn't he? Totally <laughs> failed. He was failed precisely <laughs> yeah. because yeah. he could not beat. He didn't have the talent to beat Tantric. He didn't have the talent for novelty at all. Hitler is the ultimate mimicker. He mimics, mimics, mimics. He's a boy. He's a Platonist Gnostic and he's 11 years old and he wants to mimic, 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 mimic all the time. In the bland a spectacular, a spectacular example of the use of the victimage mechanism, right? There's a, it's an yes. extreme uh, return to paganism. Yeah, essentially. Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Gnosticism and paganism. That that's exactly Nazism in Germany. It's paganism and Gnosticism combined. That's exactly what it is. That's yeah, that's maybe a good way to put it because yeah, the Gnosticism and paganism that made some weird cocktail and then it, it completely exploded. Yeah. yeah. Khomeini in Iran is a good example too because it's the merger of Islamic Gnosticism. And even Islamic theologians don't even understand what Khomeini was all about. He was even rare and weird to the Shia Muslims. He was incredibly charismatic. He stay, didn't stay true to a single word he ever said in his life. He only saw like the benefit of his own narcissistic mission. And he was incredibly Gnostic. He saw himself as a Gnostic mystic. Very similar to Hitler. I mean, he was terrible, very similar to Hitler. And popular too, because- but Something to do also with an inability to, 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 uh, to kind of have a, see the humor of existence on some level, it's like- yeah, They don't have a sense of humor though. Again, no humor, humor is pathos. Humor is, yeah. machines cannot crack jokes. Definitely something human beings do and definitely something is tantric. So we are at our best or humans and we go towards the human- And not mind. just cracking jokes, but- Humor in the sense of like real humor. It's like the humors or something, or <laughs> I don't know what well, I'm trying to say here. I, mean, I think I'm, Simon Critchley wrote a book about like the, the, there's something extremely humorous about, 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 you know, um, well, Chogum Tremba called it this blue pancake that falls from the sky. It's like your, your whole enterprise has this kind of humor to it that if you don't see that, you're, you're in trouble. Well, dark humor is an example of intelligence. That's how you deal with catastrophe in the most creative way possible. So, yes. Okay. So, again, Simon Critch has written a boring book on humor on purpose. Great book. <laughs> and, and he says that humor is fundamentally a form of intelligence. It's, it's a form of stupidity not to be able to understand humor. Because yeah. you're lacking a level. It, it, it is the, it, again, it is, it is when logos and pathos cannot collaborate. And that's it's also the pathology, of, the pathology of sutra is, is a certain kind of humorlessness. Yeah. We're back on, on talking about, because that was our original topics, you know, sutra versus tantra. So, and, um, and not only do they lack humor, when they get stuck on the sutric side and can't be tantric, they also get pretentious. Mm-hmm. Pretentiousness is also part of that. And passive aggressive. And oh, absolutely. Mm. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the, the love and light brigade. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Oh, yes. Most, most and then they have to people. talk about how vulnerable they're feeling right now. And, and oh, God, oh, help. And how deep they are and how authentic <laughs> yes. they and, are. You know, yeah. I'm feeling really vulnerable and not yeah. safe right now talking to yeah. you. Yeah. Help. And, and, and <laughs> e ego death, ego death. It's always, e nobody's more obsessed with their own ego than the person who talks about ego death because if you say, I experienced ego death, well, there was an I that experienced it, wasn't there? <laughs> so <laughs> your ego didn't die, you can't kill your ego. You know, blow up your own brain and certainly your ego will be gone because you'll be dead, but as long as you live, you'll have an ego. Yeah, pretentiousness. The pretentiousness mm. is that quality. Yeah, they're around. They're around in their pretentious echo chambers, only seeing people who think like they do and using the same vocabulary, often with the same- And also we're back to Girard again, and also they tend to be unconsciously searching for a scapegoat. Oh, um, yes. Because there's this emptiness inside of them that, you know, they, they just, they have to find the, because they're, they've become so love and lighty that they, they, they're, they have to, push down the dark side of themselves. It's like the reverse like order of classical scapegoating because it's like they first turn you into a messiah and a guru and then they go after you. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Isn't that but like reverse this is, scapegoating? This is classical, well, that, this that is is classical yeah. sadomasochism, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's uh, Girard wrote a lot about that. So mm. it's, it's uh, I mean, there's that's metaphysical desire and stuff like that. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I, I love Girard because he, he explains all these very 
puzzling aspects of human behavior, like say the masochism, where does that come from? And, I mean, it, it all fits into his grand theory of, of, uh, of the human mind, which is basically, that's the program that Freud started and that Jung worked on and Lacan worked on and Girard basically, basically finished it, right? I think he's the, he's, it's like, he's like Darwin, he's the Darwin of anthropology, I think, the Darwin yeah. of the human mind. It's, I'm extremely surprised that, that everybody knows Freud and, and Jung and Lacan and that, that Girard is, is comparatively uh, unknown. It's no, it, it, only, it only started, and, and Peter Thiel and all this will break Girard massively big. I mean, Girard over the next 30, 50 years, he will definitely be will definitely He will be one of the giants. Convinced, convinced. Like Whitehead or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, uh, no, and, and I think in, in both in anthropology, where it's from Eliad all the way up to Girard, it, what I call the massive anthropological revolution of the 20th century. Anthropology explode in the 20th century almost on a par with physics so it was a golden age for anthropology 20th century and it will be helped now with data because a lot of the ideas from the 20th century can also be proven because anthropology after all is supposed to be science so and, and Girard is, is the king of that he's definitely the king of that I, I, I read him the same way you do Thomas and I think he's amazing but we'll all be Girardians we are more or less already I can't help thinking about I mean, what, you realize, the day you realize that people are just mimicking all the time, it is going to be one of the biggest events of your life to realize that that's what everybody does. That's what I do. That's, oh God. And that's how you turn people into enemies because you mimic and that means that you're going to want what they want, but that means you turn them into competitors. So paradoxically, uh, you know, it's the people that you admire and that, that you really want to be close to. That's the yeah. people you're going to turn into mortal enemies because you, 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 you copy what they, we copy their desire. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think Gerard made explicit, right? With, with, with uh, what could only be expressed in like theater and literature before. Yeah. He, you know, he, read, he read Proust and, uh, and like uh, Dostoevsky and, 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 and Proust and Shakespeare Cerf and, and, and all those, things, all those writers yeah. that he, and no. were, were expressing what he was saying, but they could only do it in the form of literature. And he kind of kind of made yeah. that explicit. Yeah. It's an ama amazing story. Also, uh, if you're, I've, I've read his first book. Um, what is it, Romanticism, and I don't remember what it's called, but so where he discusses all of these, these, uh, these books, like Dostoevsky, Cervantes, um, and, and he just shows that all the same mechanisms are just described again and again by these writers in different contexts. It's, it's mm. amazing. Stendhal as well. Yeah. Guys, so, I'd love to return to these conversations with you guys, and, and I'd got to read up even more on Gerard and also reread him, which I'm doing at the moment while I'm writing the new book, and that's incredibly valuable. Hmm. Highly re recommended reading for anybody who follows us. So it's Girard, pick him up. Girard and Whitehead. That's all the rage. Yeah. And Trumpa. And they fit together because- <laughs> And Trumpa, and Trumpa, yeah, Trumpa, yes. We are gonna start Golgam Trumpa Appreciation Society, meaning that we're gonna create a Shogam Trumpa Renaissance in the West. Did you see I just had a podcast with Fabrice? Yes, I do, wonderful, he's beautiful, and we love Fabrice Medal. Oh, he's such a kind shaman. He's the only guy that's ever been able to write a biography of Trumpa. No one's ever been able to write that biography because he was such a, everybody who met him had a different version of him so it's like very difficult to actually which is a typical trait for a crazy wisdom teacher exactly no. yes no, no. well that's what you and tantra will 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 make you like that right you will become you you can fit your personality to the to the uh, to the environment yeah because if it's processed yeah. anyway and you are a relationship it's process, yeah. you have you unique relations yeah. with each person you meet you don't you're not an object anymore so no. fixed rigid object but you become a process, something fluid. Yeah. So that's the, that's the tantric attitude to life. Yeah. And of course, is. if you perf the perfection of that is Jokchen, because in the, the idea of the, in Tantra, there's still the idea of transformation, right? So you, there's mm -hmm. still the idea of like, I'm turning something into something else. And then with, with the level of Jokchen, you kind of let that go, these, 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 that, that idea that there's still a practice that you need to do. Mm -hmm. mm. And it works both in nomadology and nomadology. So, in nomadology, what I call it is vertical nomadology. So there is a journey you do, but it's your own journey throughout your life. 
That is, that, is, that, that is like millions of years old, that idea. The idea of an eventology where society itself, the world itself, improves or changes over time is very recent. That is, I think, a great insight on our part is to realize that eventology only starts 3,700 years ago. So the idea of civilization starts then. And I mean, well, ultimately- I'm, I'm, I'm glad, now I get it. I, actually, it's now the first time that I understand what you mean with this nomadology and eventology. So mm -hmm. I've been a bit slow there. So I see, yeah, that makes sense. Mm yeah well thanks thanks a lot guys uh, uh this is this is awesome uh, yeah um, i love it i love it it's really it's interesting because i was listening to your thing with tom like we just you just had a uh you know a podcast with tom where you you did a very nice job of laying out you know your ideas and then in these kind of conversations which are much more chaotic and, and wild we we just go in so many uh, interesting directions and, and yeah i love both of them do you think anybody can follow this? I mean, <laughs> I mean yeah, people are crazy. following it. Yeah, sure. There's lots of people. But don't worry, it. only the clever guys will find it. So we have a bar absolute here. That's quite natural. Yeah, exactly. He said only the clever guys will find it. The rest, they'll they 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 lose their temper. It's like Whitehead. Whitehead <laughs> is publicly released, available to all. Uh, but only a few people can read him, and that actually saves him on the right side of the bar absolute. Uh -huh. No, there's quite a number of hmm. people who follow this. Uh, yeah. I'd say about a thousand uh, for minimum mm. for, for each podcast, and then and then you know some of them get a lot more. So yeah, but these these are. I mean, it's amazing. I mentioned before, it's amazing that now you we can just go to Amazon and just buy anything, right? Thousands of years of wisdom, and then and then start cross-linking this and discussing this like we did tonight, and and that gives uh, that gives me a lot of hope. Because that yeah, means that a and, lot of, of new thinking is going on. A lot of new solutions can emerge. Yeah, and we don't even have search engines tied to audio yet, but that's going to happen. That's one of the things AI will do for us. And then you can just say, when was this word first used in history? And it will go and say, there was a certain podcast recorded this year, this date, 46 minutes, 11 seconds into it. Here's the word. I mean, it will be amazing. Amazing. That, that, that machines will help us. They basically say, we got a huge, huge, huge library that expands all the time. And still, mm -hmm. although it expands, we can just quickly, within seconds, find exactly what you're looking for at the right archive. Here it is. Now, it will be a massive revolution when it comes to learning. And, and I, I love that. That's the good yeah, I think. Uh, for the I next think it's time to, to put some uh, optimism in the narrative because yeah. there's a lot of gloom and doom around. And of course, there's, yeah. But I mean, you know, humanity has always been on the brink of extinction. Mm. What else is yeah. new? Yeah, and at least now we have a lot of technology and philosophy and religion, and we can we can have a very fresh perspective yeah. on it, which I think is amazing. I agree. Mm. Well, that's Strong. why I like Alexander. He's he's con your constructive um, thinker. Yeah, I hate to say it, but the new book is going to end on a good note. <laughs> oh, shit! <laughs> <laughs> it's so much easier to be dark, <laughs> but it's true. You're absolutely right, Thomas. Yeah. So that's cool. two hours, man. That was two hours. Great, you got a lot of editing there, Andrew. We see, yeah. see how, I'm, how I'm no, chunks no work well. Wow. That's great. I love brutal edits, so go ahead and do it your way. And and uh, I mean it. I mean, I'd love to pick up this one again soon and uh, just dig deeper into what we talked about. We do that naturally anyway. These are the things we love to study. So yeah. for the three of that's us, that's the easiest thing in the world. This sort of tantric brotherhood we just created. It's wonderful. <laughs>